1: Wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hi and welcome back to Who Did What Now? The history podcast with your uh egregious host, Katie Charlwood. Gift giver and reader of books. So, if you hear the sound of knocking on the door, it's just a cat. And so, Valentine's Day is coming up. And I thought, what says romance more than somebody who steals money from women, uh, murders them, and drains their blood? Okay, so, let me just have a little look here. So, today I thought, let's talk about Bela Quiche. The vampire of Singota. Now, um, I did talk about this briefly on TikTok, and I kept pro- and I pronounced his name as kiss instead of quiche, because I'm an idiot who sometimes does not pronounce things correctly, and I was I was quickly corrected, twice. <laughs> good, good for you. Um, I was quickly corrected twice regarding my mispronunciation of of quiche. But it looks like K I S S in English, so and I thought, well, that's actually pretty funny because it's kiss. But also, he he, nobody learned to kiss and tell. I don't know. I'm I'm sure I had a pun in there somewhere. So um, my sources are the Encyclopedia of Serial Killers, um, Brian Lane and Wilfred Gregg from 1992, uh, World Famous Murders, Colin Wilson, Damon Wilson, Rowan Wilson. Lots of Wilsons, uh, 1993, and Murderpedia, and a WordPress. Um, Tsinkota, Hungary, Europe between East and West. Bela Kish is known as the vampire of Tsinkota and the monster of Tsinkota because he was a serial killer. So, how do I tell you about Bela Kish? Here's the thing, the beginning, his origins are a little bit fuzzy because, you know, nobody really pays attention to somebody until after they start doing crimes. So people weren't really keeping too much of a record of what was going on beforehand, but this is the best we got. So, Billy Keach was born in 1877. Where he came from, nobody knows. We don't really know much about his life before 1912, but in 1912... He moves to Sinkota, which is now part of Budapest, with his young wife. 1877 to 1912 is... 40... 35? 30... 35? 30, 35, 35. So he's about... Eh. Um, Bela is born in 1877. And he is tall, blonde handsome, he has striking blue eyes and a glorious moustache by all accounts. And this man had a trade. He was a tinsmith, which um does exactly what it says in the tin. He smiths tin and other light metals. So he had this trade, but but he is also reported as being as A voracious reader. And you know what that means? That's like that guy you know who's read Catcher in the Rye uh, for fun, even though it's fucking boring. And we all know it's boring. But anyway, so he could talk to anybody. So he would, (sighs) he could charm the higher, the elites in the upper circles with conversations on literature, art and history, even though he had like no formal schooling. So yeah, he could basically gab with the best of them. You know, he could basically talk about anything. He gab with the best of them. You know, on inte- oh, with you know the intelligent and the educated and the elite and the you know you know what he reminds me of. You know those guys, those those people who own the complete what works of Shakespeare. Like they don't just own the books separately or the plays separately or like small selections. It's like those big motherfucking huge bricks of books. Nobody reads those. There is nobody who reads those. I love reading. I do. I love books as much as the next person. But have you ever tried to physically hold one of those books open? It's like there's a reason that the Lord of the Rings, you buy it in the three separate volumes, or the Chronicles of Narnia. Granted, they're all like blah, blah, blah. But the point is, there's a reason that, like, in general... When they release, like, collections of books, they only really do, like, three at a time. Because it's too heavy to hold in your hands. So when somebody buys those fucking coffee table books, they're doing it just to be a pretentious shit. And Bella Quiche is a fucking pretentious shit, you goddamn tart. Anyway, hmm, <laughs> clearly I have some deep-seated issues with Bella Quiche. Now, anyway, so... By the early nineteen hundreds, about February nineteen twelve, Kish moves into a house in Nine Kossuth Street, Koshuth. At nine kochuth Street K-O-S-S-U-T-H. koshi Koshuth Koshuth Kish. I'm gonna assume that it's either Koshuth or Kotchuth and I've I've probably still pronounced that wrong. Anyway, it's a <laughs> he moves into a street in the outskirts of Sinkota, which is on the outskirts of Budapest, in Hungary. There we go. When he moves, he moves with his young wife. So he's uh, about 35, so she's 15 years younger, so she's 20. And, you know, we don't know what that marriage was like, but in general, I find that marriages of the past, with men with incredibly terrifying mustaches, probably weren't... Um, the most enlightening of situations. Well, all we know is, clearly this marriage was not going well because Marie, his young wife, was having an affair, was having an affair with Paul Beakery. Well, I say she was having an affair. We only have um, Keisha's word that she was having an affair with Paul. By December of, of 1912, Marie has disappeared. And in a crazy random happenstance, so has Paul, her so-called lover. Now, I wouldn't blame her. Clearly that moustache wasn't doing anything for her. Bail is there. He's telling all his neighbours, ah, she left me with him. They fled to the Americas. She clearly did not appreciate this moustache, but it's okay. She clearly wanted something else. And he was like, he basically gave off the impression that he pitied her. For leaving him. And dude, I get it, but also, you know when someone's just that bit too eager to explain away a situation? But so not long after his wife's disappearance, he starts collecting these metal drums. Yeah, and you know, then you know, people in the neighborhood they're like, Why the fuck does he have so many metal drums? Uh, he says that he's collecting gasoline and oil uh, because you know there's there's rumblings of a war coming and so some people are like okay cool he's just really prepared and other people think he's just making his own hooch, and that's why he's keeping it in the metal drums he's like ah, he's probably making his own booze that's that seems fair you know and also during this time a few women are reported missing in Budapest the only clues the police have are they were going to meet a man called Hoffman. But you know, yeah, police couldn't find this person. He just whoo, disappeared. Overly prepared, or you know, making his own booze. And you know, which either way during the war, you either want to have booze or you want to have gasoline. I mean, that's fair enough. But they also, they, you know, they see him as a friendly dude. He's nice, he's polite, he's hardworking. He throws Parties at a local hotel for the village. So they can all come and party and hang out and have a swell time and just revel in this wonderful fellow's generosity. He's so kind, he's so considerate, he's that lovely neighbour. He has a masterful moustache. So he's seen as the town's most eligible bachelor. You know, whether he gets a divorce or not, nobody really knows, but they just assume, you know, abandonment, whatever. So Quiche... You know, doesn't have a woman around the house anymore because you know, as far as everyone is concerned, she's fucked off to the continent, the other continent, <laughs> a different continent, uh, with his uh, with her, her boyfriend. So he's all alone, you know, and a home needs a woman's touch, obviously, because it's the early nineteen hundreds. Anywho, so he hires an elderly woman, um, called Mrs. Jakobek. As a housekeeper, to basically do all the domestic duties, to get the dusting done, to wash his dirty linens, uh, make his food, I don't know, general shit like that. So yeah, Mrs Jacobic, she does all of the domestic duties that, you know, a wife would normally do again because it's the 1900s. Anyway, the eligible bachelor becomes the gossip of the town and... He's a ladies' man, man's man, man about town. And, you know, all of these women are coming. There's like a conveyor belt of women just going through Baila Keisha's house. And his house, housekeeper, she's like, mm, I'm just I'm just going to keep myself to myself. It's nothing to do with me. You know, he's my boss. Regardless of whether I approve or not of this behaviour, it's nothing to do with me, whatever. Fair enough. You do you, honey. So, you know, the goss- the town gossips, they're like the curtain twitchers, the curtain twitchers, they are aware. It's like a constant stream of women. They don't really stay very long. Um, You never see the same woman twice, you know, that sort of way. And here's the thing, he never introduced anyone to these women. Like, like even his housekeeper, like, I mean, she was kind of like doing her own thing anyway, but like she never knew the names of anybody who came into that house. And so this happens, you know, this goes on for a couple of years. 1914 comes along. And it's the outbreak of World War One. Yeah, so Austria-Hungary, they were on the side of the Allies in World War One. So Keisha's conscripted and he leaves his house in the care of Mrs... Mrs Jacobic. I wonder if it's Jacobic. I wonder if it's... Is it Jakabek or is it Jacobic? Maybe I've pronouncing her name wrong this entire time. So 1916 rolls around. And reports come back to Sinkoda Incorrect reports come back to Sinkota that um, Bela Kish has been, you know, killed in action. And the landlord, Oh, or so they say, the landlord probably thought, two years, this is long enough, I need to get some money. Um, so he goes down, you know, he's like, I need to get the place ready, make sure, you know, make sure it's all clean and stuff, and I'll get a new tenant in, you know, no harm, no foul. There was, like, one account which said the soldiers were, like, marching through and were looking for supplies for the war, some people in the village were like, hey, that Belakish dude, he had, uh, he had some, uh, you know, gasoline um, stockpiled that we thought was hooch. But yeah, you can just go go grab that because he ain't coming back, we don't think. Um, but by most accounts, but, um, most versions that I've read regarding this uh, say that it was the landlord. So he goes in, takes a wee look, you know, some say he had a cleaning crew, some say he was on his own. We don't know this exact bit of information. You know, and he wants to go, you know, see what repairs need done in case, like, the house has fallen into disrepair or other sort of stuff's gone wrong. And so he gets to the property, and outside the property there's, like, he sees, like, a good few large metal drums. And he's like, oh, okay. So he's like, I wonder if it's, I wonder if it is gasoline, because he's thinking, oh, great, I can make, you know, some money off of that. Curiosity gets the better of him, and he's like ha i'm a I'm gonna go open Pandora's box here, so he punctures one of the drums, and he is overwhelmed by this repugnant smell, and it was just nauseating and disgusting and he's like, right, okay, and you know there's a chemist that lives next door, so the chemist comes over. And he's like, mate, what the fuck is this smell? And the chemist is like, dude. Um, oh, this is not verbatim. Um, I'm paraphrasing. Um, he's like, dude, uh, that is the unmistakable stench of death. So Landlord uh, naturally freaks out and phones the detective chief of the Budapest police, um, Dr. Charles Nagy. Nagy? 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 I realise I don't know how any Hungarian name is pronounced. Uh how to pronounce Najee. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the internet. It says his name is pronounced Naig, Yacobet. Yacubet Mrs Yacubet. I will I will say it correctly from now on. Thank you, internet. Anyway, so Dr. Charles Nag, uh the detective chief of the Budapest Police. He gets the call from the landlord in Sakoda. he's like, "Um, think there may have been a murder." He says the house was rented out to this soldier um, and the lease has lapsed, but he may also be like a prisoner of war or dead or whatever so um, I went having a wee look and found the stuff and uh, uh, I, I really and he begged. You know, he's like, can you please investigate this? Because I cannot go back into this property until this is figured the fuck out. So, Nig basically grabs two of his best detectives and fucking, and, you know, needs for speeds down to the town. And, the, you know, so they get there and the landlord's like, thank God you're here. He's very excited. He greets them. And um Mrs. Jacobit, the housekeeper, is less than pleased. And she straight up shouts, uh, she straight up shouts at the, at the, uh, at the, at the policeman, because she's like, she promised to safeguard, like, all his stuff and, you know, protect the house, and she's like, you should, you should leave my master's property alone, Yada yada yada. So now has one of the metal drums opened, and it confirms the, you know, the suspicions that that the awful smell of human decomposition was in fact human decomposition. So they open up the drum woof, and hit with that just cloud of stench. And then they face a sack and the preserved body of a young woman with long dark brown hair, the rope that she had been strangled with and she had been perfectly preserved by this weird alcohol pickling mix. So, naturally, they are suspicious of Mrs. Jacobet and they question her about the metal canisters, about the big metal drums. And she said, you know, people were talking about them. You know, like people had been talking and they thought that he was like, he had his homemade hutch in there, some illegal booze. But like the town constable had come to chat to him and he told the constable that it was, that he was just stocking up on gasoline. For the war. So, a mortician is called in because they have to, you know, collect um, the bodies of the victims. So, there's seven that are just out and about, and each one has a perfectly preserved naked woman in them. Anyway, and Detective Nyack, he's like, okay, we're going to be like super thorough. And he's like, we're going to be thorough. So, they start digging up the grounds around the house and they find 17 more drums. And sixteen have a perfectly preserved body of a naked of a woman who is nude. And one man, Paul. And every single one of these victims had been strangled. So these bodies were so well preserved that they were still easy that they were easily recognizable, and they actually thought it was gonna be quite and so it wasn't actually gonna be that tough to identify them even by like 1914, 16 standards. Immediately, Naig is hitting the ground running. He notifies the military that Bela Kish, you know, if he's still around, that he has to be arrested immediately. So the military is out looking for Bela Kish, but it's kind of tough because Kish is a really popular surname and Bela is a really popular forename. So he's actually pretty hard to track down in general. So, and also there's a war going on, so it's very complicated. But anyway, so, and next thing you know, he interrogates Mrs. Jacobit. Because they think, oh, well, maybe he's got an accomplice. Maybe she's been helping them. That's why she was so mad at us. Blah, 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 blah. The first thing they do is they're like, you know, they're like, we need to identify these victims. They manage to find, like, pieces of clothing and, like, a little bit of a handkerchief with, like, initials on them. Like, KV on one, MT on another. Inside the house. So Mrs. Yakbet's sitting there, like, freaking the fuck out, as one would, when you find out that there are literally... Dozens of bodies in the garden, in the place where you work. Anyway, and that your boss is quite probably the one who killed them. So she's sitting there, she's freaking out. She says she doesn't know anything about it. She just knew Kisha's, you know, the dude who paid her well. He was so kind and pleasant, so on and so forth. So they're going through the house and it's spotless. Like she kept this place tip top, you know. Because she's good at what she does. Respect the drip, Karen. And so the detectives are going to their house and they notice that this one door is locked. I'm like, mate, what is this? And, you know, she says, oh, that's, um... Oh, that's his private room. He told me never to enter enter into it and never to let anyone in. And he's like, okay, well, you kind of have to let us in. And so she takes this key, unlocks the door, and... um. And it's like an office. So the room is lined with bookcases and books. And like in the centre of the room, there's a desk and a chair. Very minimalist. And so they open the desk and there's literally hundreds of letters. So there's all hundreds of letters, all this so like there's just this massive volume of correspondence, like this huge mass of letters between Keisha and like all these other people, except it doesn't have the name Keisha on it. It has the name. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind
1: Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle
0: at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. Hello everyone, you may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna and you don't recognize me from anything yet. But it's not just conspiracies, there's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MKUltra? Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. Hoffman! There's also this photo album with, like, photos of more than a hundred ladies. I mean, you would have to, like, sit for a photo. You know what I mean? You would have to, like, take the time. Like, it was a big deal to get a photo back in the day. So, like, you know, that's a lot of effort. So back to the fucking... So, yeah, back to these letters. And, you know, they see all these letters and they're like, oh, shit, what if there's more victims than what is outside, what we've just dug up? And they go through all these letters. And so there's, like, 74 packets... And each packet um, was all the mail, all the correspondence from like one woman. So 74 separate packets of correspondence. So there's like 74 women that they could know of. Um, so Bela Kish, as it turns out, also had a home, had an apartment in Budapest, but we don't really know anything about that one the seven. So what he would do is he would post an ad in a lonely hearts column with like very particular sort of buzzwords to try and get rich women to respond. And so basically he was doing lonely hearts for marriage. And like as they were going through these packets, there was like a marriage proposal. So he had offered marriage. Yeah. So he basically proposed to them throughout this through the lonely hearts thing. It became really really clear to them that Bela Keish was basically committing fraud. He was just stealing money from these women um, on the promise of marriage and basically taking all like their savings, their financial resources, all that kind of jazz. And these letters, some of them actually went back to 1903. So before he actually got married himself. Not only that, but, and as they're looking around this office, you know, they take a look at, you know, what are these books that are on the bookshelves? And they're like, poisons. They're all about like poisons and strang- and methods of strangulation. And more poisons. Like, oh, okay, okay. And, you know, it's, it's just, hmm, hmm. The head of police is like, how? Like, how, how was he doing this for so long and not getting caught? So again, he goes back to Mrs. Jacobet to interview her. Well, interrogate her. So again, she's like, mate, I'm a simpler woman. And she's like, please don't send me to prison. And she talks about how nice he was. There was a dog, you know, that he was so kind and considerate. There was like a dog that broke his leg and she made a, he made a splint for the dog. Couldn't kill, he couldn't kill these women when, when like, mate, he, he clearly killed these women. And as it turns out, that Keish actually left his housekeeper, like, a decent amount of money in his will cool that's nice um but yeah so she's like I knew, I knew nothing of this i didn't know he left me any money i didn't know any of this shit was going on and she's just like overwhelmed with emotion as one would in this situation and she just like straight up just starts sobbing and he's like okay no if she knew anything about this like we would know so so Keish never gave any sort of he never used his real name he would call himself herr hoffman Keish would place carefully worded advertisements in the the matrimonial columns in the newspaper and he would always ask questions about financial resources. He was always really careful to like cover his tracks as much as possible. From going through like the letters and everything that was there and contacting other police departments where you know he felt the women were from. And it would basically, you know, the letters would inquire Basically what the letters were asking was how much money do you have and also would anyone notice if you went missing? Like how many family members do you got? Like what's going on there? So you know and Keish would go visit them, he would spend money, uh, he would lavish attention on her and like you know make her feel like she was the bee's knees, like she was the apple of his eye and other terms of endearment I cannot think of the top of my head. I'm sorry I'm losing my voice. I am losing my voice. I'm so sorry. They were just going through everything with a fine-tooth comb. And like if he was and if there was like a reason that you know, he if, if it looked like, you know, the woman was gonna contact the police, he would just you know, he would just remove the problem, eliminate uh the issue in the situation. So they get their first break, and it's Madame Catherine Varga. So the KV were the initials they found, and Catherine Varga was a young widow from Budapest and had a profitable dressmaking business and she sold it so she could meet with her prefect, because she had you know a a new husband on the way so she was like I don't need to work now I got a husband and when she disappears no one no one would miss her no one notices that she's gone and the good thing is like people made their own clothes and stuff back then so like their names would be embroidered on it so uh, they find something else that has like Julianne Paschak st- stitched in it. So then they go through stuff and they see that two women had actually sued Bela Kish for taking money on the promise of marriage. Julianne Paschak and Elizabeth Komoromi surprisingly didn't show up to court. You know, which was very uh, lucky. Which, you know, nobody thought was suspicious. Anyway... So at this point, they have enough evidence to prove that Keith had murdered thirty women, but but at this point, only one of the victims in the metal drums had actually been identified. They're able to identify Marie, and they're able to identify Paul because they're known by the town. So they were actually pretty easy. And then, so as it turns out, uh, this woman shows up to the detective, uh, Mrs. Toth, and she goes. Listen, my daughter was supposed to marry this dude, Bella Kish. He was uh you know, she told me to give him money so they could get married. I gave him money, they did not get married, and Margaret said, you know, they'd gone back on the promise of marrying her. So I go to visit the dude, and when I go visit her go visit him, he says that he only wanted to delay it, you know, for reasons. And and off he off she goes. And he says that Margaret has run off to America. Where have we heard this story before? This sounds familiar to anybody else. The same bullshit he said about Marie. Well, he's going to say about Marie, because this is like 1906. Anyway, so basically the way the detective... So the detective basically figures out that, you know, Margaret... Basically, Keish gets Margaret to write a letter saying that she could not bear the shame of rejection by Bela, and that she was going to look for new love in America. So they have all these murders... Effectively what he would do is steal money and if he thought they were going to do anything, report him or whatever, he would strangle them or poison them or maybe both. So here's the thing. Like, uh, the reason he's called the vampire of Syngoda is because he would insanguinate the body. So he would drain the bodies of blood before placing them in the barrel. But I just find it so strange though because, like, where did the blood go? What did he do? Anyway, so by... You know, October in 1916, Dr. Naig basically receives a message from a Serbian hospital claiming that a soldier called Bela Kish died of typhoid in 1915. Then he gets another message saying that um, Kish was alive and he was at the hospital. So he bolts it off there. So they get to the hospital and, you know, by the time they get there, it's night and they go in. You know, to see where Bela Keish is, is, you know, recuperating. So they get in there and the man, the man in Bela Keish's bed is dead. However, that's not Bela Keish. Somehow, somehow, either Keish was warned or he had some premonition. I don't fucking know what the dude has. Uh, maybe, And he basically, he basically does what the demented version of putting... Stuffing pillows in your bed to make it look like you're there. That's what that's what he did. How this person died, we don't know if that, you know, the soldier died of like natural causes or whether, you know, he strangled him and replaced him. Either way, he is gone. So yeah. The vampire of Syncoda is gone. But there are sightings of him for literal decades after this. Uh Yes, yeah, so he's seen, supposedly, Quiche is sighted on the Margaret Bridge in Budapest, which was Hoffman's hunting grounds pre-war. He's then, in 1920, Um, a member of the French Foreign Legion goes to the police and he's like, there's this legionnaire who I think might be Quiche because, you know, he says his name's Hoffman and he keeps talking about how good he is with a grot. And, um... Honestly, kinda creepy. So they go the you know, the police are like they go they want to go check out this dude, Hoffman, so they go to visit the unit and also in addition, furthermore, they discover that Hoffman has deserted the French Foreign Legion. Okay. Ah uh, mm. There's reports of these, you know, these Hungarian soldiers, and they're like, ah no Béla quiche. ...imprisoned in Romania for burglary. Ah. Uh, oh, he was... He died of yellow fever in Turkey. Ah. Uh, so, 1932, so that's, like, another 16 years later. Detective Henry Oswald, also known as Camera Eye, because he has such a great memory for faces, was convinced that he saw Bela Kish walking out of a subway station in Times Square... Um, so basically people had this whole theory that, you know, he would have been in his 60s at that point and living in New York. And rumours, you know, keep circulating. And in 1936, you know, the gossip was that he was working as a as a janitor in this apartment building. And so the police were like, OK, we'll go check it out. It's 1936. Uh, the war's just started, but we're not in it yet. So we'll go have a look. And when they go to interview the janitor... Boom! Janitor has just disappeared. A lot of this is like they went to go chat to this suspicious dude, and this suspicious dude with a foreign accent has just fucked off for whatever reason. I mean, there's plenty of reasons, you know, that people might be plenty of reasons why somebody might want to run away from the police. But that's gonna that. But here's the thing, right? So there's all this supposed travel by bay location like all over the world, but there are no more crimes apart from these that have been attributed to him. So either A, he was killed at war or he was killed shortly after war. Um, Or B, he was injured so severely in the war that he did not have the means, that he did not have the means or the ability or capability to continue killing. Or C, he just kept killing, but he just wasn't caught. Also, oh, this whole thing about camera eye is, as far as I know, the so-called photo, um, which is like the soldier with the mustache and the hat that is attributed to being Bela Quiche is, I think, a sketch. As far as I know, I don't know if it's actually, yeah, it's a sketch. It's not um, quite a. Mm. Also, in addition, furthermore, why did he keep them? Like, here's the thing. Like, why? Did he keep the bodies so close when they could be easily detected? But yeah. Hmm. So, that that was the story of uh, Bela Kish, the vampire slash monster of Zincota. So, what did we learn today? One, do not trust men with mustaches. I think that's clear for everybody. Do not trust men with mustaches. The bigger the mustache, the more dangerous they are. So, you know... That mixologist, you know, in that bar with the with the vintage style lights and they've got the tuxedo one, don't trust them. No 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 no. I don't care how jaunty their mustache is, it is not worth it. Um don't <laughs> also the past is frightening, I feel like is a, is another uh another thing we should take on board. <laughs> Recommendations Aha, guess who's finally reading a book that isn't about history? Nope, Um, I'm reading uh, Women Don't Owe You Pretty by Florence Given. So I'm going to have a wee look over that and see how we get on. I'm pretty excited to read it actually. um, Especially considering I've ordered so many books and they've only started to arrive. And they're all like delayed and stuff so that's not fun I must add. But anyway... That's not the point. So, oh, yes. Also, if you are listening to this on iTunes, if you want to like rate and review, you could just like give me five stars and say uh your favorite color, I don't care. Um just say something nice. <laughs> if you review it, the more people get to um it goes more people get to like learn of its existence and that would be nice. I would like to share history with more people if that's possible. Um and not just because I love the sound of my own voice. <laughs> I'd I would greatly appreciate it if you would just write in your view. Maybe say something nice. Oh so anybody have any fun Valentine's plans? My Valentine's plans involve um eating as much cheese as physically possible and possibly I don't know, maybe watch dancing on ice. That's on Valentine's Day, isn't it? That'll that'll do. That's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, I have started listening to podcast recommendation. Actually, I I started listening to I started listening to Small Town Murder, and those guys are so funny. They are so funny. I I am I am a hundred percent here for this. I'm uh I really enjoy I really enjoy it. Uh, but anyway, um, you can catch me on all of my social medias. Uh, feel free to like, rate, and subscribe. Yay! Uh, and get more of this talking at you. Mm. No, I actually. So I usually don't buy new things in general. Uh, uh, I I tend to wear pre-loved stuff, but um, there was, I, this girl showed up on my uh, like TikTok, and um, she's on Depop. It's Radiohead one two three, Radiohead one two three. She made these earrings that are little frying pans. And I was, I was like, are those frying pans? Yes, they're frying pans. So then I had to go and set up a Depop so I could actually buy the frying pans. So that's what I did. I bought the frying pan earrings. Yeah, when I get them, I will put a photo on the Instagram and I'll probably wear them in TikToks. <laughs> so I'm very excited about that. That's my good news of the week. And I hope to have you here with me again next week. Adios, au revoir, au revoir, zen, my friends. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to?